pray together. Lord, I pray that as we discuss one of these questions that many people have, that we will be open to what you have to say to us. I pray that you will communicate clearly through me and into all of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. As you will see from the bulletin and from the sign outside, today's sermon is called, Why is the Church Always Asking for Money? I feel like this might be one of the more relatable questions that we are talking about in this series. Um, we are going to, for six weeks, so we're like, we've just passed the halfway part. We're on the second half of this series of questions, of sermons based on your questions. And the, I don't usually say who asked the question. Um, she's not here today, so I'm going to tell you. No, she, she told me I could. Kathleen, actually, Kathleen Young's, um, actually asked this question, but the original question she asked went like this. She emailed this to me. How can we gain a sense of God's desire for us in terms of how we handle our money? On the other hand, you've mentioned how people are worth their training, expertise, etc. It's difficult for me to believe that I'm worth my wage, especially when I think about my original question. How do we think of ourselves rightly in this area? So if you don't know, Kathleen Youngs, who usually sits back there behind Debbie, um, is a campus minister, and she used to be a part-time campus minister, and she also worked part-time in the library, and if you know anything about campus ministry or other types of missions that are not part of church, um, people have to, like the pilgrimage, which is my other ministry, um, people have to actually request other people to donate financially to the work that they do so that they can get paid. And so that, that gives Kathleen's questions a slightly different slant from most people here. Um, she and I are really the ones who currently are in full-time Christian ministry, and she is now in full-time ministry. She no longer works for the library because she believes that God wanted her to take her campus ministry work full-time. That is a step of faith, to give up your regular wage at a regular job so that you can do this full-time that w requires trusting God to prompt other people to give to you so you can make a living, right? So I have a question because she says, you know, it's difficult for me to believe I'm worth my wage. If you are working a job right now or if you have had in your life a regular job, did you ever feel like, and you were working hard at it, did you ever feel like you did not deserve to be paid? No. You earn your wage, right? You earn your money. You work hard, and you earn your money. Some of us have felt in our jobs like we really aren't making what we deserve. We should be making more because we're working really hard, and we're we're not being fairly compensated. So the way that all of us think about money and the way that all of us manage our money, it affects every single Christian because we all have to deal with money. Whether we have it or we don't have it, there's money, right? Somewhere, <laughs> maybe not in our pockets, but somewhere. And so we have to figure out how to deal with it. But people who believe that God has called them into full-time ministry like Kathleen or like me, have an additional layer of 
how do we think about money? Because it feels a little weird. Let's be honest. I'm just going to put this on the table. I, I acknowledge this is true. It doesn't really feel right to think about paying someone to help you get closer to God, right? Why does that feel weird? Because he freely gave, okay. You should be able to get close to God on your own. Okay. So those are some reasons, some other reasons I thought of um, were, for example, I'm the pastor of this church, I'm part-time, I get paid a certain amount of money, and, but there are plenty of you here who volunteer your time, like the worship team or David and Carl come in. There, you know, there might be some, some money, but mostly there are lots of people that volunteer to make this place run. So why doesn't everybody get paid? Or do, why does only a couple people, me and Sue or whoever, get paid? Um, when I was working as a hospice chaplain, I had one person that I met with pretty regularly, almost once a week, and he was lovely. He was Roman Catholic, and he really loved Jesus, and we had these great conversations together, and we would talk, and then he found out that I got paid for my job as a chaplain, and he never wanted to see me again. Because he said, I talk to people about Jesus all the time, for free. Also, we're all familiar with pastors with debts. You know what I'm talking about, right? Celebrity pastors who, will, who have this big following on TV or online, and they'll say things like, if you send this amount of money, it's seed money, and it's, it will grow, and you will become prosperous, and meanwhile, they take that money and they buy themselves a jet. Or many jets. Or the most expensive sneakers, or whatever the thing is. So I think these are all reasons why a lot of us have a hard time when it comes to money and the church. Um, and this brings us to the flip side of Kathleen's and my question, which is, why is the church always asking for money? I want to say something here. I want to acknowledge that this church, um, while we are not a wealthy church, you are faithful in make sure, making sure that you pay for the things that you're committed to pay for, including my part-time salary, and you are very generous at the end of the year. So I don't, I'm not preaching this sermon because I feel like you guys are all stingy and I need to tell you that you should be paying me. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm preaching it because this is a really tricky topic and it was a question that I was asked and I think it's something we need to talk about honestly. Like, Let's not slide this under the rug or just kind of go along with things. We need to know why. So the short answer to why is the church always asking for money is to pay for the church to function. That is the short answer. We need to, we have a building. We need to maintain it. We need to improve it. We also try to care for our members. When members of our congregation have needs, we try to be able to help with those things. Um, we do have a pastor that gets paid something, and Sue and uh, any other paid staff. But here's a question that sometimes people ask. Do we really need any of those things? What if we met in houses? 
What if we didn't have a building? A lot of churches are moving away from having their own buildings. Or uh, what if we just gave money directly to the people that were in need and not to the church, for the church to give to the people in need? Or what if we didn't have a professional pastor, we just had people fill in? Well, you guys have been there before. (laughs) Um, That can be be tricky, right? What's that? Well, I mean, it it was like this here for a while. Um, So... So that is the short answer. Practically speaking, why is the church always for asking for money? Those are the reasons. But we're followers of Jesus, and on some level, any kind of question like this, even that has practical, real-world, material um, reasons, we want to know biblically why should we give money to the church, And also, transformationally, why? Because if we're following Jesus, we're doing it because we want to be changed, to be like Jesus. Otherwise, there's really no point. Why are we even here? This needs to make a difference in our lives. So, we're going to talk about some of those things. First, we want to talk about the concerns that we mentioned from a biblical standpoint. And that was in, actually, the last passage that Paul read for us, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. You remember from a couple weeks ago, I said Timothy was a pastor in a church in Ephesus, and so that whole letter, 1 Timothy, is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the pastor, trying to help him be a better pastor. And um, he, and so in this passage, chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, it's about other pastors, or about being a pastor, and, about, and or about teachers within the church, who aren't just Timothy. We're skipping over verse 2. Verse 3 starts kind of in the middle of a sentence. It calls back to verse 2. Verse 2 is complicated. It says something about slavery that has been badly misinterpreted. We talk about slavery here sometimes. That's not today's sermon. So we're going to just ignore that. But basically the point of this passage we're looking at is that essentially if anybody teaches anything other than the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teaching as a result of that, that transformation piece, um, which includes relating to each other, then these, well then what? What is Paul saying about these people? If anybody is teaching anything other than the gospel of Jesus, which is really about reconciliation with God and with other people, then something needs to happen. What Paul is saying about these particular teachers in this particular passage is they are not teaching out of the fullness of their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They are teaching out of their own agenda, they are teaching because they love fighting, and they're teaching because they're trying to make bank. That's basically what Paul says here. So, one thing that this shows is that if there were people who were teaching because they were trying to make money, they were trying to get rich, That means that even in the early church, some people were being paid in some way for the work, for their work for God by caring for and teaching the people of God. Because you wouldn't think about getting rich that way if there weren't people getting paid for that kind of work, right? 
these people that the Apostle Paul is talking about were not doing this teaching and preaching because they cared about Jesus or because they cared about the truth or because they cared about the people they were teaching. They did it because they were trying to benefit themselves financially. They wanted to get rich. Some people eager for money, Paul says, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people. Paul doesn't conclude on this basis. He's not saying because some people are trying to get rich by teaching about Jesus, therefore we should never pay anybody who teaches about Jesus. He says some people are doing this with zero integrity. They are just trying to get rich. And so, it doesn't mean other people that are doing this for the right reasons shouldn't be compensated. It means that these people who are doing it for the wrong, pe- wrong reasons should not have a platform. They shouldn't be teaching. That's not what they're supposed to do. And so he says to Timothy, Timothy, insist on what Jesus himself taught and lived and other godly or godlike teaching. Implying, otherwise, if you insist on this and they're not cooperating with it and they're still doing this for their own financial benefit, they don't get to teach. The end. So let's back up a lot. I didn't have, we were already jumping around so many passages this morning, I didn't include this one in the reading, but in Numbers 18, God gives Moses some commands for how the Levites, the priestly family among the Israelites, is supposed to live. So you'll know that in the very Old Testament, most of God's people, well, they, they had been slaves, and they were going to Canaan, where they were going to be farmers, primarily. And so their economic system was not the same as ours, but they were all going to be apportioned certain amounts of land. Families were going to get their lot of land, except for the Levites. They didn't get their own. So the Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons, and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. So keep this in mind. The priests are representing the whole people, and whether the priests actually are involved in the sin or not, if the community sins, the priests are responsible for it. So that's a pretty hefty responsibility. That's a big burden. They're not just doing all of the sacrifices and things in the temple. They are themselves answerable to God for the behavior and everything else of all the other people. Then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. All the holy offerings the Israelites give to me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. So the Levites, the tribe for all time, who were to take care of the people's spiritual needs and take responsibility of the people's sin, they don't work, they don't have their own land, And so it's the people's responsibility to provide for them because it is their responsibility to promote the spiritual health of the people. So they, it's not like God saying, 
here's this group of people, and I'm going to put a giant burden on them, and then they have to somehow figure out how, to, how they're also going to live like normal humans, <laughs> take care of their physical needs. No, they provide this spiritual care for their community, and the community provides for their physical needs. Giving to God, we can't really, right, back in the Old Testament, you could make sacrifices, and an animal would be dead, and sometimes the people got to eat it, and sometimes it just got fully burnt up. Um, but with money, we can't just give money and have it like evaporate into the ether, right? You can't give your resources directly to God. So um, when we give to God, we really are giving to the people that God has chosen to represent them. What the people gave to the priests and the Levites, then the priests and the Levites were responsible for tithing that. So it's not like you're suddenly, you're, okay, here's the special people, and they are responsible to, for the spiritual well-being, and you're giving them all their money, and, they're, and then they just take it and live on it and get rich and buy jets and stuff like that. No, they also have to tithe. <coughs> and, like I said, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals, but in our context, we have a building that we're raising money for, or we have other things, other people that we're caring for. And so this is why this church now gives a portion of the income that comes in the offerings to missions and why your pastor tithes. And I'm not saying that's a brag, but I think a lot of people don't, maybe some pastors don't tithe. I also think a lot of people don't know that this is an expectation for pastors and church leaders, people in ministry, we also are responsible to give, even if we're living off of other people's giving. So this is important. The Lord said to Moses, this is in the same passage, Numbers 18, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given you. So everybody in the community of faith is responsible for sacrificing something of our own resources because this is an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to worship. This is why when we have our offering here, we don't pass the plate, but, I, but we always pause for it, and I say this is an act of worship. Because we are saying, whether we have a lot or a little bit, we're giving a portion of what we have that we count on for our livelihood to God. We're trusting God with it. It's, that is an act of worship. And everybody was invited into this practice of letting God be God, not just of some things, but of everything, of our resources. And it's a way of learning how to be generous, as God is generous with the people in the book of Numbers, but also with us. We are practicing being the kind of people that God is, generous. So let's, I feel like there might be a couple people here who are thinking, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. So what are some difference bet differences between the setup back then and now that might affect 
this topic. Okay, we're no longer no longer under the law. Okay, Jesus says we're to give joyfully. Here's the difference. Economically, I already mentioned this, they were farmers, they didn't, you know, they had money, but money wasn't as big of a thing or a sign of wealth as, say, cows or sheep or goats or these kinds of things. And so economically, their whole system was different. They were not capitalists. And like Ron said, we are in the New Covenant. And here's another thing. Because we're in the New Covenant, we're all priests, right? It says this in the New Testament, but it says it in the New Testament because Peter is quoting the Old Testament. It says it in the Old Testament too. All of the Israelites were priests of God for the rest of the world. You know what a priest is? The person that goes between the other people and God, the mediator. And so that is what the people of Israel were supposed to be, and that is what we are also supposed to be to the rest of the world who are not part of this community yet. We're priests in the same exact way. In both cases, both among the Israelites and now, among Christians, among the church, people are still called, set apart, to provide spiritual care for all the other priests. Spiritual care and teaching. This doesn't make those people better or more special or really even closer to God. Everything that it is possible for us to do as a job, everything that is not in itself ungodly um, or harmful to people, every, every job that God could call you to, whether it's in a bank or at a restaurant or in a daycare or whatever, all of those things are ways for God's people God's priests to represent people to God and God to people. Those people who are called to full-time spiritual care, like me or like Kathleen, we don't do work that generates any other kind of income for any other things that we need for this life. And so this dynamic makes, this is actually what causes transformation. So to your point, we are no longer under the law. And so I don't see giving to church, giving to missions, giving to ministries as being under the law. It is actually practicing being like Jesus, who gave freely. It is growing in certain godly characteristics that only happen when we give up something that is really hard to give up. It's less about obedience and more about love and trying to become like Christ. First of all, it's an, an opportunity for us to grow in humility. It is really hard. I don't know if people who ask why do we always have to, why our church is always asking for money, if they ever think that not every church or minister or missionary really likes asking for money. It is hard. It is humiliating. I, I, I don't like doing it. <laughs> it's part of my job. The priests in the Old Testament were lucky because they 
God just said, you have to give them a tenth. <laughs> they didn't have to ask for it. But in our society, people like me have to ask. I don't like it. I've had some serious conversations with God about this, and he's not letting me off the hook. And the reason he's communicated with me is, this is how I want you to grow in humility. Ugh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> but it's also an opportunity for others to grow in generosity. Generosity and grace are the same thing. Remember the parable of the prodigal father? The father was prodigal because he just gave away like crazy. This is the nature of God, and this is what grace is. And this is the core of what it means to be a Christian. So, reasons for giving in church. In the early church, the building wasn't even a concern. I have a feeling that when I first announced Ezra's purse here, people were like, wait, doesn't our offering go to the building? Oh, Pastor Jen just wants to make money. <laughs> um, in the early church, any money that was given went to people, not the building, because they didn't have buildings, because they were meeting in homes. So in 1 Corinthians 16, which Paul read, we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul, describing a weekly collection. The churches in Jerusalem at that time were going through a famine. And so he was actually fundraising, and you can see he hints at it in other of his letters in the New Testament, um, that he's fundraising to, he's requesting that every church that he has any kind of authority over collects an offering every week, and they gather it all together, and then he or somebody was going to take it to Jerusalem to help the churches that didn't have food. This is like when we tithe to, when our church tithes to missions or the Deacon's Fund donates to organizations around here that do really good godly work. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 18, though, Paul says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well... This is a key. Well, not like the people that he talks about in chapter 6. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and workers deserve their wages. Elders in this context means pastors. So, I'm really, like I said, I don't like asking for money. Um, and I kind of like to sometimes imagine that I can just talk about the offering and pretend that none of it is going to me. Um, I don't make a ton of money doing what I do. I do it because I love the Lord and because he has called me here. But biblically, in the Old and New Testament, people who do this kind of work should be paid something. Also, Jesus, by the way, Jesus, you know that guy, you know who Jesus is? <laughs> Jesus lived off donations. He was a carpenter who quit being a carpenter to go into full-time ministry. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the ma manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. 
These women, this is the point, these women were helping to support them, Jesus and the 12 male disciples, out of their own means. None of the men disciples were working their secular jobs when they followed Jesus. These women disciples, who had their own resources somehow, were supporting Jesus and the men financially. Jesus was not generating his own income. Sometimes God calls pastors to side gigs. I have a side gig, but it's also a ministry. <laughs> so, so I have to live on donations for both of them. But not every pastor gets called to a side gig, and not every pastor needs to be. Some people in Jesus' life women in particular who had their own means, saw it a part of their response to Jesus' generosity to them to be generous with Jesus. This is really what we're doing, all of us are doing when we give to the church. We are being generous with Jesus because Jesus has been generous with us. This fosters godly characteristics of trust in God, Gratitude for how God provides for us. Humility, because we can't do it on our own. We have to ask for help. And generosity. And this makes sure that everybody is really invested in belonging to the church. Because if you, there are some people who have a lot of money, and writing a check for them is easier than actually going and helping people in person. But for those of us who are not in that situation, Every time you write a check to the church, you're sending a piece of yourself because you depend on that money, right? So you are not going to do that unless you are all in, invested in this body of believers and what God is doing in this body of believers and you want to be part of what God is doing in this body of believers and money needs to still be here to help things run. So generosity is the point of this whole thing. Back to Kathleen's original question, how can we get a sense of God's desire for us in terms of how we handle our money? Or if we don't have money, because sometimes that's true, other resources, vegetables or a listening ear or a car ride or Kathleen and I were texting back and forth about this on Tuesday and I went back to this original question. How can we get a sense of how, what God desires for us in terms of how we handle our money? We can't really make blanket rules for each other about money in the kingdom of God. Not anymore, because we are not under the law anymore. So we can't make these blanket rules. Tithing is a good guideline. Um, and so that's kind of what we talk about here in this church, because it, it's actually a minimum. 10% <laughs> is a minimum. But it, it's a good ballpark and a good goal to, to aim for. But we're not under the law. We also can't base how we handle our money, I can't base how I handle my money on the basis of how somebody out here handles their money. That's not my business. I can't judge people based on how much money they have or how much money they don't have or how much they're giving or how much they're not giving 
God needs to talk to that person. So I'm, I'm asking this question in my head that Kathleen asked me. What is God's desire for us in how we handle our money? And my brain said, generosity. And right when my brain said that, Kathleen texted me and said, generosity. <laughs> so I guess that's the answer. Generosity is the final, shortest answer to the question. Practically, biblically, and transformationally, generosity is the answer. God desires for us to be generous, to experience generosity and to be generous because it's not really our money anyway. All of it is God's. We're just cooperating with him when we give it to him generously so he can keep doing his work in the world with his money. So that's the rest of the answer. Handle money in relationship to Jesus. This is better than tithing. Tithing is, like I said, it's a good framework, it's a good goal, but better than tithing is saying, seriously, getting before Jesus, humbly and saying, Jesus, who can I share your money or your resources with today? Jesus, how shall we use these resources today? Jesus, how much can we give the church, me, we, Jesus and me, how much can we give the church or that person in need this week? Jesus, is there a ministry that we can be part of together by giving to the person doing the work to take that burden off him or her, like Kathleen? She's not working through the church, but <clears throat> she is doing work like this. These are questions we should ask Jesus, and if he asks you for something, for an amount that's scary, <laughs> he's done that for me a couple times, you can probably go back and forth with him a little bit, because he's gracious and he's generous. But you can also trust him, because I've experienced that too. Generosity is the same thing as grace, which is the whole reason why any of us are here. So how do we handle our money? We be generous as God has been generous with us, including being generous with the church, whether the church asks for money outright or not. May we be a generous, grace-filled church in every way. Amen. <laughs>